Okay. Did everybody have a good weekend? Like, I, I thought I was going to have a good weekend. And then, um, then the OU game. And uh, it, was, it was brutal. It was brutal. You guys know I'm a big Oklahoma fan. And, and um, when I say I'm an Oklahoma fan, I mean it's like ingrained in my blood. I grew up in Oklahoma. And I can, I mean, I, some of my earliest memories are me playing like outside in the front yard. We, live, we were living in Oklahoma City, playing outside in the front yard with my friends and hearing my mom and dad inside screaming at the top of their lungs at the TV at the game and that sort of, you know, and so, and then, and then all the neighbors in, in the area screaming at the same time. It was just screams that went up, na- you know, neighborhood-wide. And so in Oklahoma, until just recently, uh, there were no professional sports teams. Uh, they have the Oklahoma City Thunder now, but, but that's a pretty recent development. So OU, uh, especially OU football, was our uh, professional sports team, sometimes a little bit too professional, and uh, got us kicked out of NCAA for a couple seasons. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, so it, it was, you know, that was, our, that was our thing. And so it's just like part of my blood. It's who I am. Uh, it, it's kind of when I, when I encounter other OU fans, it's like I'm, you know, it's like my tribe, you know. Jim and Janie are OU fans, and they were weeping with me yesterday during that game. And, and, uh, and so it's just I think now there's a difference between uh, Oklahoma fans and Oklahoma State fans. There's a, actually a huge difference. So I know everybody thinks that, like, everybody from Oklahoma is a total redneck. Uh, but, but if you're from Oklahoma, you know that Oklahoma State fans raise the redneck bar in ways that you can't even imagine. Like, like they are just over-the-top rednecked out. And, and, uh, and so, but that's my tribe. So, yeah, yeah OU is my tribe, and, and, uh, and, and I love, you know, supporting, supporting them, supporting their team. I love college football. I mean, I just, I'm not a big uh, pro football fan, but I love, love, love college football. It's just so enjoyable to watch to me. And so, since I've been out here for 20 years, I've got to be a Cal fan, and uh, they've become part of my tribe as well, or I've become part of theirs maybe. And, uh, and so I, I enjoy going to those games and, and, uh, and supporting them and following them. That's a lot of fun. But one of my favorite things uh, to do is, uh, is baseball. And baseball starts tomorrow. Yes. I'm so excited. Pray for my wife. She's a baseball widow for about six months. And, uh, and so I just, I love, like, baseball is, is, you know, other than Jesus, like, baseball is my heartbeat, right? I love Baseball, I've always said there's nothing in the world more romantic than baseball. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing more romantic than baseball. And it is just absolutely, I love it so much. And so, I, you know, I, I remember as a kid having, uh, you know, collecting baseball cards and, you know, having a few players that I kind of followed loosely, but I wasn't really into baseball. Again, growing up in Oklahoma, uh, no professional sports teams around. And so, you know, the closest one was Texas. And, and I'll be danged if I was going to root for anything from Texas. And, uh, and so, you know, it was, so it was just that thing of, of, you know, I followed kind of loosely. But when we moved out here like 20 years ago or more, um, I, I, I very quickly became a fan of my Oakland A's. I love the Oakland A's, and, and they're just so great, and uh, they're, they're uh, definitely my favorite team. I love, I love the Oakland crowd. It's just rough and rowdy and blue-collar. I just love that crowd. It's, just, it's so much fun to be at an Oakland game. I love, uh, I love the old broken-down stadium. I don't care. They can go get a new stadium, and I'll be all for that, but I'm totally happy. I've got so many great memories at Oakland Coliseum. I love that stadium. And, uh, and I love the underdog status of Oakland. I love that they pay all their players about five bucks a game. And, and, 
And, and they're constant underdogs. They're just constant underdogs, right? And, and, then, and so when they have a great season, it is just, it's all the more sweet. It's just all the more sweet. And so, and so I also have this, this one that uh, actually Rob got me this hat, and it's more appropriate for today. This is, this is A's in Hebrew. And, uh, and so, so they had a, a Jewish heritage night, and uh, Rob picked up this hat for me. And so that's awesome. I love this hat. So uh, I, I say all that to say that w- when we wear these things or when we root for our teams or maybe you decorate. I've got, a, I've got an Oakland A's bathroom in my house. When you decorate your house or when you, uh, you know, whatever, pray, pray for my wife. And, uh, and so w- whenever you do all these things, you kind of identify yourself. It's really easy to pick people uh, out uh, by, by the kind of sports tribes that they're in, and I love that about sports. I really do. I love, I love seeing people. And you know, I'm not a huge Giants fan, but I appreciate Giants fans. I love some Giants fans. Uh, but uh, it's, you know, since I've gotten into following baseball more closely, I've I've been able to strike up. I remember a, a few years ago on my way back from Oklahoma around Christmas time, uh, I'm in line getting on the plane, and the guy in front, I'm all decked out in A's gear, jersey, hat, the whole thing, right? And then the guy in front of me is all decked out in Giants gear. Actually, it was summertime. It wasn't Christmas time. Anyway, but we're, he's all got his Giants gear, and so I was like, uh, so I, I kind of tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, I hope we're not sitting together. <laughs> and, and, and so, so we ended up striking, striking up a conversation and just just having a lot of fun talking about Bay, Bay Area sports and stuff. There's that there's a common bond in that you know with through all that kind of stuff. And it's fun to pick out people from different tribes and either you know feel united with them or or razz them a little bit or you know you know whatever. It's just it's, it's such a beautiful part of that whole sports culture. Now. Um, Here's the thing about um, we also are a part of a specific tribe, and and we're a part of a tribe of Christ followers, right? And so one of the things that we're going to, as we've been telling this gospel story over the last several weeks, um, we're at this part where we're going to talk about the church's role in that gospel story. And really what makes us the church what sets us apart? What What are some identifying factors of our tribe? Uh, can people uh, tell who we are by what we wear? Uh, probably not. Uh, but my, maybe there are some other things that um, that would set us apart that uh, that really identify us as that tribe, and 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 what the Bible has to say about that, because it definitely uh, puts some markers on us as Christ followers and, and that sort of thing. So let, let me just give a, a very, very brief uh, uh, recap where, where in the beginning of the story, God creates all the heavens and all the earth. He creates everything. He creates everything beautifully. He creates all life. He creates humans, his favorite creation, the Bible says, and, and, uh, and everything is good and everything is perfect. And, 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 and God and mankind, God and creation are united. They're together. Then sin enters the world through that first human couple, and uh, because God is so holy, and He cannot, uh, His holiness makes Him not be able to bear to be in the presence of sin. Uh, his creation then was fractured, fractured into almost like uh, two facets of His kingdom. There's the kingdom that we exist in here, where um, where you know. We live in a, a fallen world where there's lots of sin and there's lots of brokenness and there's lots of violence and there's lots of, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, creations being broken down and just everything is, is kind of, it's beautiful too. I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it's an amazing creation and it's so beautiful. You can't underestimate that. But, 
But none of us will look at creation and look at this world that we live in and go, perfect. None of us. We're not going to do that, right? Because we know better. We know it's not. And so, uh, and then there's the other facet of God's kingdom, which is uh, the heavenly side, which is the realm that he lives in. Where everything is as he says it should be. That's where his presence is. And, and it's not the picture that the Bible paints of this king, these, uh, kind of, um, this broken kingdom is not as a picture of earth where we live and then somewhere up in the clouds, uh, that's where heaven is. Instead, the picture actually that the Bible paints is that, uh, that, we are, that it's, 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 it's two spheres that are kind of out of joint with each other. That actually God's kingdom is all around us. We just, it's just not visible to us. It's just not visible to us. And so here we are in these kind of this broken kingdom type of atmosphere. God immediately sets into a plan to restore the things the way he wanted them to be. He, he, he starts off with a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham where he says, I'm going I'm to bless the entire world through you and through your family. And then uh, goes on and uh, establishes a law with Abraham's descendants, who are the children of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. And, uh, and then goes on to a, a period where, because of their disobedience, the nation of Israel was, was exiled, uh, kind of separated from that blessing of God, living in exile for several hundred years. And then we've re- most recently been telling the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and at first is perceived as this incredible prophet, probably the greatest prophet that Israel had ever known. And, and he's just doing mighty deeds. But his prophetic message is one of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the, and the way that message was received by his Jewish listeners was the time is here. The time is now God is finally setting all things right. The kingdom is here, so get your house in order because God is returning. This promised Messiah, his deliverer that he's been promising for so long, this one who would set all things right, is actually here now. And Jesus goes on uh, to die on the cross for our sins, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and it's that act on the cross that that didn't... um, bring Israel, what Israel was looking for was some sort of victory over its uh, foreign enemies, over Rome, and that's some some sort of king or deliverer who would deliver them out of that kind of captivity uh, from their oppressors. And instead, Jesus says, no, I'm, I, I, that, that, that's thinking too small. I'm delivering you from your ultimate enemy. And that's what he does on the cross for our sins. Then uh, most recently we talked about the resurrection and what the resurrection means to us and how uh, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is the first fruits of what is to come. He's the foreshadowing, the trailer, so to speak, of what's to come in him and, uh, and, and, and pointing to, towards a time, when, again, when all things will be set right and we get to live in this resurrection life, not only right here and now, but ultimately and, and finally and, 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 and fully uh, someday to come when all, when the whole creation has been set right. So right where we are right now in terms of the story is that God has restored through Jesus Christ has restored relationship with us with uh, with human beings. He's restored relationship with us that we can be uh, in communion with Him again. Because while even though we're still sinful, Jesus. His perfect sacrifice paid the price for our sin once and for all. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our jacked up sinful states that that we are. Instead, he just sees Jesus. He just sees the perfection of Jesus. And so the kingdom is, uh, like I like to say it like this way, the kingdom is now and not yet. 
The kingdom has been ushered in, but there's an even greater fulfillment of God's kingdom that's coming someday that we'll talk about next week, actually, when uh, everything, all cre- not just the relationship between God and humans, but everything, all creation will be set right to the way God intended it. Okay? So, now, in, in, in this now and not yet kingdom that we live in, we are in this kind of in-between stage of the now and not yet that, that a lot of Bible scholars call the church age, the church age. And so Jesus has, now that we have a relationship with, with Jesus and uh, with God and through Jesus, and that we, um, we are in this kind of place where um, we have that, you know, the fullness of that relationship with him, and it's a beautiful thing to experience. Uh, Jesus has put us into this thing that the Bible refers to as the church. Now, I want to pick up the story here, uh, kind of where we left off it, the last time that we talked about this, which was at the resurrection. So Jesus is resurrected, and in that resurrection, <coughs> he's making appearances. Uh, for several days, he, he just kind of made appearances. He would just kind of appear in and out of, of, of you know, his followers, and, 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 uh, and, and he, there was something different about him. Because he was in this resurrected, glorified state, there was something familiar about him, but not immediately recognizable. And so, so at times, people would be talking to him and not realize who it was they're talking to until later in the conversation. And then suddenly it was like, oh, this is Jesus. I get it now. This is Jesus. And so he's making these appearances. And so this is his final appearance. He's with his disciples, the 12, and, uh, and he is uh, getting ready to ascend uh, uh, to, he- to the heavenly kingdom, to God's side of the kingdom, uh, for, for this last time, you know, until, until whenever. And, uh, and so here he is. This is where we are. So Acts chapter 1, uh, start with verse 6. It says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So so again, this is post-resurrection. Jesus is getting ready to ascend. And his disciples are asking this question, is it time yet? Are you going to finally restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to set things right and give us victory over our enemies and all this kind of stuff? So this is his closest circle of followers, and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. They're still asking the wrong question. I mean, for all of it, you read the story of Jesus and the story of his relationship with his disciples. You know, there was, it was often that they were kind of bucking for position. They knew that Jesus was going to reign in some way, that he was going to, you know, give them victory over their enemies and all that kind of stuff. And so, so they would ask questions like, hey, when you come into your kingdom, uh, me and my brother here, can one of us sit on your right and the other on your left? Can, in other words, can we be kind of your second in command? And, uh, and so they're asking, you know, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And they're, they're worried about their position in this kingdom that, that, that Jesus is going to set up. And so here he is. He's, he's, he's conquered death. And they, I mean, he's, he's amazing. They get that, right? They get that. They get that. Okay, this is not your ordinary guy, not even your ordinary prophet. This guy conquered death. Something special about him. They, they've, Peter has already uh, claimed him to be the son of God. So they're getting his divinity. They're starting to get that, but they're still asking the wrong question about their place in the kingdom. They're like, okay, is it time yet? Are you finally going to give us, you know, bring Israel to power and give us that victory that was promised and all that kind of stuff. And this is what uh, Jesus says. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
So, so Jesus says, you know, don't worry about that. Don't worry, don't worry about that. You're thinking about the wrong thing. This is what you need to know. You need to be my witnesses here and in the surrounding areas of here. So it, if, he, if he was here, it would have been like he was saying, you need to be my witnesses right here in Dixon and in all of Solano County and in all of California and then to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. So while their kind of thinking about this kingdom was local, like their whole thinking about the kingdom was Christ is setting up his kingdom and Israel's going to reign, right? They have a very local thinking about what Christ's kingdom is going to be like. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Not only are you going to witness here, but you're going to witness all over this planet. You're going to take this message everywhere, everywhere. And so while they're thinking about what his kingdom was and maybe even who his family was. I mean, they're still thinking about kind of this exclusive kind of Israel type arrangement between, between God and, 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 and people. You know, he's trying to expand their minds. Now, so how do we get from disciples who are thinking that way, very small, very kind of localized vision about the, the kingdom of Jesus, to what we experience now, which is this global movement of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ has gone to all the nations and, and, uh, and we're working on getting him to all the tribes and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're, how, how did it move from this, this tiny little corner of the earth, dusty little corner of the earth to where it just expanded globally? How, did, how does that happen? The, the primary reason or primary uh, method that God used to, to enable that to happen was a guy by the name of Paul. And uh, Paul is just, as, as I get older, as I study the word more, the Apostle Paul, um, I just have more and more appreciation for who he is and was and, and, and what he contributes to this whole church thing that we get to experience. Because his contrib- I'm going to tell, tell you this, without Paul's contribution, this whole faith looks a lot different. A lot different. And so... Paul was this guy, uh, this is part of the story, Paul was this guy that uh, when he first comes on this, the, in the end of the story of the Bible, he's not Paul, he's this guy named Saul, and he's a Pharisee. He's another, in other words, he's one of the religious leaders of Israel. Uh, and, uh, and so he's this guy, his name is Saul. Now he's not just any typical religious leader. Paul loves God. He is passionate about God. So passionate that he's one of these guys, he's like, I would not let anything taint the religious experience of my people. I'm going to be vigilant to make sure false teaching does not come in and and our faith is not somehow altered in any way. He is passionate about his faith. He is passionate about keeping God's law. He is passionate about defending his faith. So much so that when this little upstart religion starts, that starts claiming that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews had been promised, Paul takes it upon himself to say, no, 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 this cannot stand. We need to start killing these Christians. That's how passionate for his faith he was. And so Paul we, we, the first, first mention that we see of him is, is when they got one of the Christians by the name of Stephen, a deacon in the first church. And they arrested him for preaching. And, and the Bible tells us that when they were stoning Stephen to death, Paul stood there and held everybody's coats. So he's the guy who's like, yeah, pick up that rock, I got your coat. And beat this guy to death. 
And then he goes out traveling throughout the countryside, trying to weed out these little cells of Christianity, and, and, and to where that when it comes through, you know, as, as the church progresses and the church starts to grow, the name of Saul, the Pharisee, becomes very feared. He's feared. And so Saul is on his way to Damascus one day, and God appears to Saul. Actually, Jesus appears to Saul. There's a blinding light. Saul is struck blind, and, and, and he has this whole encounter with God where, he's, where he says, you know, basically, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting my people? And so he has this encounter with God. He, has a, he literally has a come-to-Jesus moment, right? He has this come-to-Jesus moment. And in that moment, um, everything changes. He realized that he has been on the wrong side of this whole equation. He spends a few years uh, getting trained up and everything. But the, the, the value, I say all that, I tell this story to bring this point out. Everything that Paul wrote in the Bible, his name was later changed to Paul. Everything that Paul wrote in the Bible comes from that place of religious passion from before. Like he knew the scripture inside and out. He was more educated than any of the other disciples. He knew the scripture better than any of the other disciples. And when Paul had his encounter with Jesus, suddenly, he had this like matrix moment, right? Where suddenly, everything that he had been taught, everything that he had studied, all of it began to make sense in Jesus Christ. In ways that the other disciples had not put it together yet. And so, with the other disciples, this whole faith pretty much stays small without another sort of move from God. But through God moving through this guy Paul, the whole faith gets opened up because Paul begins to see what God had been doing all along and how it never was about Israel. It was always about those who were faithful to him. And he begins to put these pieces of the puzzle together. And that's why we have these amazing books like the book of Romans, and the book of Galatians, and all these letters that he wrote where he is making sense of what grace is. And he is making sense of Israel's role in this new Jesus kingdom. And the Gentiles, that's the word that, that is for everybody except for Israel, the Gentiles' role in this Jesus kingdom. He's making sense of all. And it's, sometimes it's complex. Paul is a complex theologian, but he weaves it all together. And when you dig into it, it's just absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And so he says something like this. Look at Galatians chapter 3. We're starting in verse 7. He says this. "Um, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's saying what what the scripture has always said, that we have kind of missed the point of, that it wasn't about us being of the bloodline of Abraham. It was faith. It was Abraham's faith that mattered, not his blood, not his DNA. It was his faith that mattered, and it's those who follow him in that faith that are a part of this kingdom. On down a little further in that chapter, verse 23, he says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the, morn, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. He was like, all of you that have been banking all of your chips on the fact that you are uh, a Jew and therefore you've got some sort of exclusive rights to, to God, you were totally off base. It's not about your lineage. It's not about the country that you belong to. It's about faith. When we follow Abraham and his faith, it's then that we become his heirs. It's then that we become his heirs. So through Jesus, the world has been united into one family. Through Jesus, the whole world has been united. Into, now, now, we're 2,000 years on the other side of this, and we, we, most of us kind of get that. We know that this is a global thing. It's not just a Jewish thing. We, we totally get that now. But to his listeners at the time, this was revolutionary. Revolutionary. It, it was a game-changing thing to, to, to assert that this was true, that through Jesus, the whole world has been united into one family. No, no, nobody because of their bloodline or because of their nationality has exclusive rights to God. It's all about faith. Paul goes on in the book of Romans, and he, and he reaffirms this in, in chapter 8 when he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with with him. We are adopted into that kingdom. In another place, Paul says we are grafted into that kingdom in the same way that they, out here at these almond trees, they take those old, old, you know, the the older trunks and the older root system and they graft a younger tree with younger branches onto that to get better fruit. We are grafted into the root system that God laid through the nation of Israel. We are heirs, not only of Abraham, but co-heirs with Christ. We are full-fledged members of that family. Full-fledged members of the family of God. That's a, I don't know where that hits you, but for me to know that I'm not just God's plan B, but I was actually a part of this plan all along, that's powerful. It's like discovering your own heritage. Like if, if you grew up not knowing your heritage and who your, maybe who your parents were or who your grandparents were or, or where you came from or anything. And when you start to discover those pieces of that puzzle, it somehow gives you this greater sense of identity, the sense of belonging in this world. And it's the same, spiritually speaking, through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ and what he has done to, to make us heirs in this family. Not just family members, but true heirs. We're not some sort of leftover kid that doesn't get any of the inheritance. We are heirs with with them we are children of the promise that abraham the promise god made to abraham is fulfilled in all of us as christ followers paul in romans goes on to say in uh, chapter 9 verses 6 through 8 but it's not as though the word has of god has failed so this is what he's dealing with israel the israel is looking at this going well then then has god broken his promise has you know if 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 it's not israel if it's not national israel that is 
that, that God was fulfilling this promise to, if it's somehow open to everybody, then has the word failed? Has God broken his promise? And, God's, and, and Paul says, no. It's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He's quoting there. This means that it's not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And then further down the chapter, verse 30, he says this, What shall we say then? And this is the answer to that question. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. In other words, all these people that were outside of, you know, outside of God's will, outside of God's plan and doing this whole thing, uh, not a part of God's Israel family, uh, they weren't even pursuing it, but now they've attained it. And how have they attained it? They've attained it through their faith. And then he says, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. He's like, you guys have had this, this special relationship with God. You, God gave you his law to guide you and to lead you to him. But it did not lead you to him. Why? Because you made it all about the law instead of about your faith. All, your whole faith became about being a law follower, about pleasing God by doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. And when you did that, you missed the whole point that the law was not the end of the journey. The law was just the map, the map to God. And so when you, when you started worshiping the map, instead of trying to get to the destination, you got so far off track. And that's why the Gentiles, those outside of Israel who are now coming to faith, coming to God through faith, they've found him. While you guys are still seeking him by laws and legal things, you missed the point. You missed it. So Christ followers, get this point, this is, this is, this is amazing. Christ followers are the true Israel. Christ followers are the true Israel. Covenant is fulfilled in us through faith. That Israel was never about a nation. Is God's this whole idea of Israel, it was never about a bloodline, a family, a nation. It was always about faith. And that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are that true Israel. We're the true Israel. We're God's children. We're God's family. We're God's people. That all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Now, that said, if we are truly God's family, if we are truly his chosen people, then what are the implications for that for our life? Well, Paul tells us a little bit about that in Ephesians, and he says this in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Get this part. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one, and when he's talking about one body, he's talking about body of believers. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and who through all and, and through all and in all. 
through all and in all. One God, one body of believers, one faith, one baptism. What's he saying there? He's like, we need, if, if you want to make sure that you are marked out as my people, if you're on the right track and staying a part of this family, one of the things that you need to know is that all this division that happens in churches is not what I intended. One body, one God, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. Can I ask you this question real quick? That whole one talk, one body, one faith, and one baptism, and one spirit, and one God. If you're honest with yourself, does that look like today's church? I, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. We're so, the church all across this world and all, even in this town is just so splintered. We, we, we focus more on, on, on our differences than on what unites us. Can I tell you one of the mo- things I'm most proud of, that, uh, of being a part of this church and, 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 and being a, a part of a church that is part of this town is that there are great strides happening to unite the churches of Dixon. Great things happening. Little, little things that, that, that amount to big things in the long run. Now, we don't have to all combine under one building and, you know, w- w- whatever. That, that's not the point. The point is that we realize that we are all part of the same body. We're all on the same team. We're all part of that same family. And so we do things here in this town like all the youth groups uh, meet together. Every week, every Tuesday night, we meet together over at Calvary Chapel downtown. We have this unified youth group. We're doing things now like the, the women's thing that we talked about earlier where we're gathering all the believers in town for this one event. We're trying to do, again, we don't have to do it every single week and all under the same roof, but we want to do things occasionally that reinforce this fact that we are all a part of that same family. Can I, can I just tell you that Dixon is, uh, is a trendsetter in this area? is a rare thing. You don't experience this in a lot of other towns. You really don't. And I think this is why the movement of Christ is growing in Dixon is, be, is not because of anything that the individual churches are doing in their services or the way their strategy or anything like this. I think the reason God is blessing churches in Dixon right now is because we're starting to realize we're all part of the same family. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Further down in that same chapter, he says this, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so this is what I think Paul is saying through these passages. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You need to live like you're that. You need to live as such. You need to live as though you know that and believe that. And the truth is this, while it's not our behavior and it's not our actions and it's not our law keeping or anything that's going to build or, or, or um, you know, provide a way for us to get to Jesus, it is our lives and it is our actions and it is the choices that we make that will set us apart as identifiable as what tribe that we're in. It is those things that will identify. Can I real quickly, before we dismiss, just say two or three things that I think more than any other thing will mark you out 
as a member of this tribe of Christ followers. And the first one is this. Love. We need to be people of love. People need to know us. The Bible says they'll, uh, they'll know you for your love for each other. That people need to see that when, when, when we're together with, with our church members and, and, and with people that we worship with, they need to be able to see tangibly the love that we have for each other. We need to love each other in incredible ways. Self-sacrificing ways. Forgiveness is another one. We need to be a people of forgiveness. Jesus puts, do a study sometime on, on forgiveness in Jesus' teaching. You'll find that Jesus puts incredible weight on forgiveness. He, start, he threatens your eternity over forgiveness a couple of times. I'll let you sort out what that means, but I'm just saying it's a big deal to Jesus. We need to be a people who will forgive and will forgive easily. Kindness and compassion. We need to be decent people who are helping other people. These are the things that there's, that the Bible says there's no law against these things. There's no, these, thing, these things should mark us out in a way that the world goes, those are the greatest people in the world. I may not agree with them, but good Lord, I want to be around them. I want to be around them at least. Those people are golden. Can I ask you this one last question? Is that what we're known for as churches, though? It's not. Throughout this country, we're known as judgmental, small-minded, hypocritical, bickering back and forth, infighting, divisions. This is the reputation that the church has. That's not what Jesus intended at all. Now, I'm not saying this is our reputation as, as Living Hope Church. I feel like we do a pretty good job of keeping church healthy. But we need to step up our game in this area. If we're going to buck an entire national trend of how the whole world views churches, if we're going to try to change that trend, we have to stretch ourselves in love. We have to love in deeper and greater ways than we've ever loved before. I think we can do that. I do. I think we can do that. We are sons and daughters of the king. It's time to act like it. It's time to act like it. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that you have chosen us, that we're not your plan B, that we're your plan A. We thank you that you have provided a way for us to be a true part of your true family through faith. So God, grant us the faith that we need to stay close to you. Grant us the faith that we need not only to believe, but to act on what we believe. God, help us to be marked, set apart, identified as your family by our love, by our forgiveness, by our compassion, by our generosity, by everything that should mark us out. And so, God, we give ourselves to you and we ask you to transform us in ways that we have difficulty changing ourselves. We give ourselves to you and we give you permission to make tough changes in our life. Make us more loving. Make us uh, quicker to forgive. Make us more generous. And 
kinder, more compassionate, and help us love each other better than we currently love each other. We love you, and we praise you for uh, making us the family that you've made us. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.